good to see everybody. Welcome to The Brook today. I'm Pastor Eric, the lead pastor at The Brook. If I don't know you, I'd love to get to know you. And for the rest of my family out there, it's good to see everybody. Man, I want to I double up that shout out to our planning team for that singles event yesterday. Um, man, as Erica and I were here for, for uh, the beginning portions of it, we were just overwhelmed with gratitude for those who put time in, but then also for the folks who came on out. We had a great group of men and women um, come out to that singles event. And if you came, thanks for doing that. I hope you were blessed and encouraged. And I love what Josh said and what the speaker said yesterday. And that's our heartbeat is that we realize our church needs every single person that's here. No matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what your circumstances of life, we need one another because we want to reflect the beauty and glory of God, and we need each other to be encouraged and spurred on. So, man, it's so good to have things like that and see those things take place. Um, again, as Josh said, I'm excited about Good Friday and Easter service. Um, let, let me just reiterate uh, what, he, what was already mentioned, but Good Friday is a somber kind of night. And you'll see that when you come that Friday, and that's by strategy, because you cannot enjoy the celebrations of Easter Sunday until you reflected on the, the horrors and sorrows of Good Friday. And in order to increase your celebration on Easter, you've got to be able to understand what we're celebrating and the depth of its meaning, and Good Friday will prepare you for that. So, man, we want to see you all come on out, excited for that. It was a 12th century French poet that coined that proverb that all roads lead to Rome. You ever hear that? All roads lead to Rome. Well, the proverb is probably meant to be initially at least taken quite literally. You see, the Romans were known to build structures. They were architectural um, geniuses. And what they did was also, also developed a road system with paved roads. And naturally, they will build these roads and start with Rome and then send out these roads into divergent directions so that if you entered a road somewhere even hundreds of miles away, you knew if you walked that road in the direction of Rome, you knew it would take you there. All roads lead to Rome. But you know, what's true of Rome is also true of God and the blessings he gives. See, if we take that illustration, I want us to understand something. If we think of roads as blessings in our lives and Rome as God in this illustration, we understand that as we look at a blessing that we received in our life, we look to the source of that blessing and that road leads us to God. You with me, fam? What is it, though, that gets our eyes on that blessing? What is it that gets our eyes to look at the good things that come? James says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. But how do we get our eyes onto that perfect gift? Well, today I want to propose to you that we get our eyes on the good gifts that God gives to us through gratitude, through thankfulness. You see, when we're thankful people and we look at the things that we've received in our lives, naturally it's going to take us down a road that leads us to the source of that thing. Gratitude gets our eyes on the blessings which takes us to God. All roads lead to Rome and all blessings lead to God. 
Gratitude gets our eyes ultimately to God. In fact, uh, Harvard Medical School published an online article uh, last year, and it says this. In positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. You know, I'm always touched when modern research confirms something that's not so modern. That gratitude is God's remedy for all kinds of things. Furthermore, gratitude is successfully uh, helps us in our lives when we understand the source of what we're being thankful for. Good things just don't appear. Things of, that we would consider as a blessing in our lives, they, just, they don't just happen. They come from somewhere, or better yet, they come from someone. Gratitude happens when we understand that we have something we do not deserve and that something was given to us from someone who was gracious. So I titled my sermon three simple words today. Thank you, Jesus. If you have gratitude in your heart, can you say those words with me? I want you to think about something you're thankful for today. I know there's a lot of things we're not thankful for, namely the snow we saw yesterday. <laughs> and more seriously, we know there's things in our hearts and we're like, man, I'm not thankful for this thing. I'm not thankful for certain adversities and struggles and pains and hurts. But as we've seen several weeks, we can't fixate on flaws. We must focus upon God. What are you thankful for today? I want you to, in your mind's eye, picture that thing, maybe that word, that object. And I want you to see that thing and consider the source from which it came. And I believe you will see that it comes from God in which you can say, thank you, Jesus. God, thank you. My life is difficult. I got these things going on, but I know there are good gifts in my life. And God, I thank you for those. Next week is Palm Sunday, in which we recognize Jesus' what we call triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's triumphal because he's riding this, this donkey, this, this uh, creature that, that, that kings would ride as they entered into different places. However, we see that that week of Jesus' life did not end in the way that it started. It begins with praise and ends with crucifixion. There is, a, there is a pathway to the cross that Jesus walks. And it's fascinating in the Bible, in particular the book of Luke, we see that there are several times in Luke's gospel where it says that he was on his way to Jerusalem. And we understand that to mean that on his way he recognizes in Jerusalem there's something's going to happen. And in Luke's gospel, we come to Luke chapter 17, and we see the last of those phrases when it says, on the way to Jerusalem. Because on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus would then enter the city when he gets there, live his final week as, uh, on earth, be crucified, raised from the dead, and 40 days later ascend into heaven. But on the way to Jerusalem, he gives us a lesson about gratitude. 
Uh, on the way to the cross, Jesus stops to make sure we understand something about thankfulness. And this lesson we learn is not unrelated to what he would accomplish just several days later. Because ultimately, the greatest reason we have to be thankful is for what Jesus would ultimately do on the cross and when he walks up out of that grave. So today, I want us to understand gratitude. I want us to understand the many blessings and the greatest blessings that God offers to us. And I want us, family, as a church, to be a people who can say, thank you, Jesus, when we look at the good gifts in our lives. So I want to invite you to join me in the book of Luke, chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 19. Now, if you look at my Bible, this is where the book of Luke is. We're way more than halfway past in my Bible. There's also a table of contents at the front of your Bible. And don't be ashamed to go there to find where the right page is for the certain book of the Bible because we all want to learn how to become increasingly more biblical literate, right? And so if you don't have your books of the Bible memorized, that's all right. We got to start somewhere, don't we? In the New Testament, you have the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Four Gospels, we call them, because they all recount the life of Jesus as he walked as a man here on earth. And here we come to the third Gospel, the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a follower of Jesus, and he was a historian and doctor. And this is what he writes in Luke chapter 7, verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Can you say ten lepers? Who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them. He said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, can you say one of them? When he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we know that you have a message for us. God, I don't know the circumstances that we enter into this building with today. God, I don't know the circumstances in which we logged on to this live stream today. And even for those who are going to listen to this in the future, we don't know the circumstances. I don't know the circumstances around which they are listening. But, Lord, you know. And, Lord, you know that your remedy for our ailing hearts and minds ultimately is Jesus the Christ, the God-man, our Savior. And when we set our eyes upon him, our lives will overflow with gratitude. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would minister to us today, that we would really sense your nearness close to our hearts. God, I pray that you would free us from whatever it is that holds back our praise so that we might be youth, men, women, who are just overflowing with thankfulness. God, this is our prayer today. And help us see that we have so much more than we deserve. And let it cause us to praise you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated, church family. <clears throat> what a wild passage. I love it. So much fun to read God's word. And as we linger over it, just think more and more. Like, just jump off the pages. We see that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We know what's in Jerusalem awaiting him. But he's got to make this trek from the northern territory of Galilee and go down some 80 miles or so to the city of Jerusalem. That's not a short walk. It would take him days. And Jesus would go about at different times at a leisurely pace, choosing to stop and minister along the way. And in this particular scenario, we're told in verse 11 that he was between Samaria and Galilee. He was there at the border of these two regions. Now, we must understand something uh, geographically here is that the northern part of Israel, which is Galilee, and the southern part was Judea, and in the middle was this place called Samaria. Samaritan people were those who had married, Jewish people who married with Gentile people, and many of the Jews uh, looked upon them negatively because of their mixed ethnicities. And there was conflict and strife that took place. But what Jesus did throughout his life was choose to engage the Samaritans because they were valuable in his sight, even if they weren't to other Jews. And regularly, the Samaritans proved to be people that Jesus elevates. You see the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. Or you've heard that, that parable of the good Samaritan. Well, here he comes to this village on the outskirts of Galilee and Samaria there. And as he walks into this village, it says in verse 12, he's met by 10 different men. 10 men that are classified as lepers. Now, leprosy is a skin disease that we see in the Bible, and it can refer to different kinds of skin diseases. In the book of Levit Leviticus 13, it's taken very seriously. Because we often uh, sometimes overlook the fact that when God's people came up out of Egypt, there were a million strong people living in tents camped out. Now, when you're living in tents in an environment like that, without the, the, the enjoyments of modern medicine, it's easy for infectious diseases to spread. So God created plans for those who had infectious disease to remain outside of the camp until they were healed in order to come back into the camp, lest the disease would spread. Leprosy was one of those diseases. This infectious disease people were very afraid of because they didn't know how to treat it. And if it spread to someone, it could spread to others, and before you know it, many people had it. Now, the downside of this is that, of course, those who did get leprosy felt very much ostracized. They were outcasts. They were isolated. They were alienated. They were cast away from society, and they felt hopeless, helpless, and despair. And here as Jesus is walking from Galilee to Jerusalem, 
10 lepers see him. Now we could assume that they are on the outskirts of the village and they see Jesus there and it says they stood at a distance which the law required them to do. And from the distance, it says in verse 13, that they lifted up their voices. They wanted to make sure that Jesus heard them. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I mean, we have to understand the emotion behind those words. These are people who've been socially exiled. And they're there. And for a moment, they see this man that they've heard much about. And in that moment, they're like, this is our only hope. He's going to walk past our village. We can't let him pass us without him hearing our plea for mercy. Jesus, master, which is the equivalent of rabbi. Jesus, you're different. We know that. There's something about you. Jesus, look at us in our plight. Have mercy on us. See us in our social exile here. See us in our ostracism. See us in our helplessness. Family, I don't know about you, but there are times that I've felt like these lepers. Maybe you come today and you feel like these lepers. People who are alienated from others, whether it's actual or whether you just feel that you are. But nonetheless, you are there and you're saying, I need help. I want you to know that these men understood something very important. And is that other people could not meet them in this place. No, no one could step in. No human, no mere human being could meet them in their social exile. And the same way, no mere human being can meet you in your place of alienation. They needed the God-man. They needed Jesus, and they lifted up their voices and prayed for his mercy. What I love always about Jesus is there is nothing that he does by accident. That exact time of the day where those ten men would be on the pathway that he's taking on the road to Jerusalem, Jesus knew who would meet him there. And in fact, in God's sovereign plan, Jesus planned to meet them there. Jesus sees these men. And in verse 14, it says, look at that. When he saw them. Family, when he saw them. What did Jesus do? Okay, I don't know if y'all with me here, all right? When he saw them, what did Jesus do? He saw them. He saw them who felt invisible. He saw them that others no longer saw. He saw the very people that felt like nobody took notice of them anymore because we serve a God who sees. He saw them. Look, fam, I think this is really important for us to understand because we know that Jesus sees us in our spiritual plight. This is why he came down from heaven to earth, because he saw us in our spiritual need and knew we couldn't get ourselves out of the mess of sin we're in. But he not only sees us in our spiritual captivity, he also sees those who are socially exiled. 
We serve a God who sees both, and both are valuable to him. He sees your tears when you battle your health battles and your anxiety and your heart condition and your fibromyalgia and your depression and your diabetes. He sees you in your physically wearing condition. He sees you in your relational struggles as he saw these men in their isolation. With your relationship woes or your friendship failures or your unmet expectations. He, he sees you in your unfulfilled dreams as these men are standing by the road thinking like this is not the life that they had planned for themselves. He sees you in whatever it is that has you on edge today that makes you feel invisible, alienated, and ignored. No mere person can truly meet you there, family. So don't run to a mere person. Run to the God-man. Cry out as these men cried, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Jesus walked wrong among the socially exiled. And he sees them. And then he tells them. He speaks to them. He says to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. What a simple statement. Two commands. Go. Okay, leave this place. And then go to the priest and show yourself to the priest. Well, what does this all mean? Well, according to Mosaic law that we see in the book of Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, when someone had leprosy, the only way for them to be reinstituted back into society was by going to the priest and the priest inspects their skin disease and to determine if it was still contagious or not. And if the priest, through running the various tests that they ran, Determine that you were no longer contagious, it would be the priest's responsibility to declare you clean so you can come back into social relationship with others. And then the priest would offer a sacrifice on your behalf. What Jesus is telling these men is go and go to the priest because he's saying essentially when you get there and by the time you get there, you will have been healed of your leprosy. But these men had to first go. And Jesus tells them that. And then we see in verse 14, and as they went, they were cleansed. What a remarkable thing. As they're walking toward the priest, walking in faith because they've got leprosy, as they're going, as they're taking one step of faith at a time, Jesus heals them. But look what Jesus does. He does so at a distance. It's as they're going. We don't know how far they went. Three-minute walk. Three-mile walk, three-hour walk, we don't know. But what we do know is as they went, they were healed because Jesus doesn't need to touch someone to heal them. Jesus doesn't need to speak to that person to heal them. Jesus doesn't have to be physically present to heal them. Jesus simply needs to will, and he healed them. And in this moment, he willed that they would be healed. And then we're told here in verse 15 that one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. He didn't even reach the priest. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He praised God with a loud voice. See, this man teaches us something about gratitude, family. 
the kind of gratitude I know God wants to establish in each of us is that gratitude happens when we get something we know we don't deserve. Gratitude happens when you know you've received what you don't deserve. That, that's when gratitude takes place. And this man was grateful because he knew that he was healed simply out of Jesus' mercy. See, James says every good gift comes down from, ab- from above, that every pr- therefore every praise should go up from below, shouldn't it? And this man does that very thing. He turns back and praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Man, what a beautiful picture. This man overwhelmed that Jesus would meet him here, and he heals him. See, the scriptures tell us, give thanks with a grateful heart. The psalmist says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. The psalmist tells us to be thankful. And we're thankful when we consider all the good gifts God has given us in our lives. Just take this man. He no doubt is thankful Jesus saw him. He's no doubt thankful Jesus spoke to him. And he's no doubt thankful that Jesus had mercy on him, healing him. And it overflows in this man in praise. He praises God with a loud voice. That same loud voice he had screamed out to Jesus. Now he's screaming out in praise. He falls on his face at Jesus' feet, realizing that Jesus is the one that brought him healing. And this man was a Samaritan. The most unlikely person you would expect to come to this Jewish rabbi and give him praise. Pretty remarkable, isn't this? But equally remarkable is the observation Jesus quickly makes. He says in verse 17, weren't there ten of you? Where are the other nine? Jesus is saying, you're telling me that 90% of the people that encountered me today did not come back in praise? 90% of the people that I had worked in their lives could not offer praise to God? 90%. And that's what Jesus sees. What is it that prevented the 90% of people from giving thanks to God? And I know as even as I say that number, I'm thinking, man, what percentage do I fall into, God? You know, as we see in Scripture and in various parts, I believe that the greatest sabotager, the greatest saboteur of thankfulness is most likely Entitlement. Entitlement sabotages thankfulness, so beware of it. Entitlement is to think you deserve something, and when you think you deserve it, why would you give thanks for it? You don't go to your boss after a long week and say, thank you so much for this paycheck. I'm, I'm really grateful you chose to pay me this week. I'm really grateful you paid me the hourly rate that I had signed onto and I worked the hours. Thank you so much. You don't thank your boss, because why? I work for that. I'm entitled to that paycheck. And in fact, the quite opposite, sometimes like, I think I deserve more than that. (laughs) So how does that work, right? How does that work with God then? When we consider the good gifts in our lives, do we we look and say, God, 
I deserve that. Those lepers say, God, we've been out here how many months, how many years, and you chose to heal me. Cool, but man, I've been, I've been working hard here trying to keep myself ostracized, alienated. I deserve to be healed. Entitlement works in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we just overlook God's goodness. Praising God didn't even cross your mind. Entitlement causes us to have sometimes a complaining heart. Because not only do we receive something, but then we, we think we deserve more than that. It's like the person says, hey, clean the house, come home, and you're upset because the lamp wasn't dusted. It's like getting a great, de a great deal on a car and be mad because you need an oil change. You see, when we think about gratitude and we think about entitlement, we see entitlement causes us quickly to become people who complain. Entitlement looks like being a slave in Egypt for 400 years. And when God rescues with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, parts a Red Sea after giving 10 plagues, you walk on dry ground, the, the sea covers up, you get to the other side, and you're like, God, I don't like what you have on the menu for us in the wilderness. We can look at the blessings in our lives, but entitlement causes us to see those blessings and be like, but you could have done more, God. Entitlement causes us to feel like the provision just wasn't enough. There's another thing entitlement does that prevents our praise is it causes us to just go with what everyone else is doing. Like, no one else is thankful. They feel like they deserved it. 90% of the other people thought differently. This is a real thing that I think we have to really grapple with, family. Because the lack of gratitude in our lives stifles our joy. And we don't need Harvard's uh, publication to tell us what God has already told us here. And I'm not knocking modern medicine. But what I'm saying is God has laid out for us clearly in his word. This, is, this has been here for 2,000 years, New Testament, and more than that for the old. And God is speaking. The God who is eternal is saying, look, be thankful. Be thankful. Consider the many blessings. And if that's not your attitude, add a GR to that word. And let it be gratitude. What do we do then when we feel like we are these other nine lepers who failed to give God praise? Well, let's consider what we learned from this man, this one who came back. And there's at least five things I want to highlight for you. The first one is that this man recognized that Jesus saw him even when no one else did. And that made him a thankful man. And family, you might feel very socially exiled today, spiritually captive. I want you to know that Jesus sees you. And let the very fact that he sees you cause you to just be thankful, saying, God, whether real or perceived, I feel isolated. And thank you for seeing me in my isolation. Now, the second thing we learn from this man is that he knew the depth of his despair. You didn't have to educate this man on leprosy. He knew that there was no other way out unless his body just somehow, leprosy ran its course. But he's looking around, seeing these other nine guys like, hey, the cards aren't good for us. We need divine intervention because we know the depth of our illness. When we know that God has met us, 
in our place of despair and even most, most so spiritual captivity. We knew that we could not get to God on our own effort, but God made a way through Jesus. Let that cause you to praise him and give him thanks. So the third lesson we learned is that we need to align our expectations to God's will, trusting God's goodness. See, that's what undermines entitlement. When we're saying, look, anything that God gives is something I don't deserve. And so, God, I'm going to trust your goodness and that what you've provided for me is a display of your kindness. And I'm going to thank you and thank you and thank you for it. And not say, God, I wish it was different. Fourthly, this man turns back. He's walking towards the priest, feels that, realizes he's healed, and immediately turns back to give praise. You see, the moment you are reminded of God's blessing or provision or touch in your life, immediately turn back and praise. Immediately turn back and come to Jesus with your thanksgiving. And fifthly, to be thankful, you must insist on being thankful no matter what barriers might be present. This man had a cultural barrier as a Samaritan. And this man had a social barrier in that 90% of the others didn't do what he did. But for him, neither of those mattered because he insisted on giving God thanks in his circumstance. Isn't that beautiful? You know, one thing that intrigues me, and I even say maybe even startles me about this passage, is that when Jesus saw these ten men, he gave them two commands. He says, go and then show yourself to the priests. And it seems from this passage, this man follows one of those commands, but not the second. He went, he got healed, and then he says he turned back, and you're like, did you make it to the priest? And from what we see here, it seems to be that he did not. Or did he? Did he make it to the priest? Family. Did he make it to the one who could declare him clean? Did he make it to the one who can say that you are healed? You see, better than the priest in whatever town he'd find this man... He found the great high priest there and that was at his feet. Did he make it to the priest family? He made it to the priest. But not just the priest who could say he's healed of his leprosy, but the priest who could say that he could be healed of his sin. Because Jesus speaks to him, rise, go your way. Your faith, your faith has made you well. This phrase, made you well, literally means your faith has saved you. It's a favorite phrase of Luke to imply these double meanings of, yeah, you've been made well physically, but you've been saved spiritually, and both have happened by faith. And here the great high priest, Jesus, is not only the means through which this man is healed, but the one who declares that this man is healed. But look, family, this is not the last time that Jesus would function as the great high priest. This is not the last time that Jesus would be the means through which healing comes and the one who declares healing for us, family. You see, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. And when he would enter Jerusalem, 
Several days later, he would be betrayed by Judas, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane because he had a plan to be the great high priest. He would be on his way to Jerusalem and then on his way to the cross. And on that way, he carry his own cross. And on the cross, he carry your own sin. Why he would do that? Because he's the great high priest. And it was the priest alone who could offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. But they would have to do that year in and year out and year in and year out. But Jesus, family, the perfect one, God in human flesh, would go to the cross, as Hebrews tells us, once for all. The great high priest who stood now as the mediator between God and man and saying you can be right with God. You can be healed of your sin and your sin problem. And Jesus would accomplish that on the cross. He is the great hot priest. And that is the greatest healing he could offer any of us. Look, we live in a broken world. And not all of us like this leper will feel, find healing for our physical infirmities. Some of us will live with ailments for many years. Some of us will experience God's healing. And whether he heals us of our illnesses or not in this life, he will do so in the next. Because he's already healed us through faith in Jesus from our sin. You see, sin is all that we do wrong, all that is in us that is wrong, that separates us from God. Family, if you're a child of God, this should be causing you to praise. Because if sin is what kept us from God, but our high priest took our sin on the cross so we could be forgiven. And we can be healed in our relationship. And as Paul says, we can have peace with God. Jesus is the means through which we can find healing from our sin problem. But he's also the one who declares us healed. Because after that cross, he did not stay dead. But three days later, he'd rise up out of the grave, declaring himself as the son of God, the victorious one over sin, over death, and over Satan. And so we learn, family, that no matter where we're at today, there is ample reason to say thank you, Jesus. There's ample reason to look at the many blessings in our lives, from the air we breathe to Jesus Christ, the God on the cross for our sins. And every blessing, when looked at with a thankful heart, leads us to God. All roads of praise lead to God. As we look these next two weeks towards the cross of Jesus Christ, choose to daily, choose to regularly reflect on what Jesus has done for you and just give him thanks. Give him praise. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never believed that his death on the cross was for you, you're yet to be a child of God. But this Jesus met these men on this road, and he meets you here today in this building and online. And he offers you that same gift of forgiveness if you would believe in him. And all you must do is surrender your life. You ask him for forgiveness. You turn away from the sin, the garbage in your life, saying, God, help me. God, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the dead for me. And when you believe that in faith, the Bible says you become adopted into God's family. You become his daughter. You become his son. 
You're declared forgiven and right with God. And your eternal life is secure because God declares that by the power of his Holy Spirit that then dwells in you. That's the promise God makes, and he's true on his word. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus today, man, I pray that you would do that today. That you would raise that white flag in surrender. That you'd say, God, forgive me, I'm yours. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if we're family, don't let praise escape your lips. Go to the cross today. Go to the cross during this last song. Go to the cross in prayer and lift up a shout of praise as this man did and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for meeting us no matter how ostracized or outcast we might feel. Thank you for meeting us in our place of weariness My Lord God, I pray for, for the one who is here today who finds it really hard to thank you. Maybe there's a complaint that they're battling with and they don't know how to reconcile that with your goodness. God, I pray you would allow them to see their circumstance with a greater clarity. God, for the one who is here today and realizes they've been very entitled. They've lived their lives feeling like you owed them something. And for the first time, they realize that that's not the case. That every gift they've received is from you. I pray that you would turn their hearts and bring a great reversal and lead them to praise. Oh God, thank you for meeting us here today. And may we be like the one and not the 90% and lift up our gratitude to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise to our feet, family. I've got a song to sing. I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to sing a song today. Prayer team, would you please come make yourself available? And we love our prayer team members to pray with you. If you've got a prayer burden, maybe you just need to come to the altar here and say, you know what, I, I don't need to talk to anyone. I just need to kneel down before God and offer this prayer. You're welcome to do that. Don't let the idea that people are going to see me, what are they going to think, what, it's between you and the Lord right now. Come to him, shout to him, praise to him, because he is worthy, he is worthy of your gratitude. Yeah, hallelujah. God, we praise you. We confess that you are more than enough. God, we confess that when we often set our eyes on other things, they're going to fail, they're going to let us down. But Jesus, you are enough. You are all that we need. Thank you for meeting us here today, God. God, thank you for, for, for pruning us. You're so faithful. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for, for molding us like your clay, God. And God, we just keep submitting to you, saying, Lord, shape us, God. Craft us like you want, God. We, we surrender our will, Lord. We want you to do in us what you know is best, God, because we trust you. We trust your goodness, God. God, I pray that you would regularly remind us this week of all the reasons we have to be thankful. And God, I pray, that pray, I pray that praise would be the result of that reminder. That we would shout praises to you, Lord, in the car. That we might sing when we're at home doing laundry. 
that at the dinner table when we say thanks for this meal, that thanks will be deeper than just a mere thank you for this meal. But we say, God, you provide for us. When we open our fridge and look inside, saying, God, thank you for what's in there. God, any moment in our lives, I pray we just be filled with gratitude, God. God, when we sin this week, it's a when, not an if, but when we do this, Lord, and, and we come saying, God, forgive me. May we be filled with praise knowing that you do forgive us. So, Lord, I pray that gratitude would typify our lives. Help us, Lord. Be glorified in us, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Can we say uh, together, family, thank you, Jesus, on three. Here we go, one, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Can do it again? Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you, Brooke family. You are loved dearly by your great God in heaven. You are dismissed.